Welcome to Oaks Church, where we grow great lives and build big people. Thank you for checking out our podcast. We hope that you're encouraged by this life-changing message from Pastor Joel Scrivener. For more information, visit us online at oakschurch.com or follow us on social media at Oaks Church, Texas. I want to pick Texas. up this story in the book of Acts chapter 4 today and move into chapter 5. And I want to talk to you about the test of treasure, the test of treasure. Now, just the mention of the word test makes some people nervous. Did anybody have test anxiety? How about timed tests? Oh my gosh, timed tests would freak me out, right? If there was a test with no time and I, had, I could just do as long as I needed to do, I was okay, but you put a time limit on it and all of a sudden I began to get anxiety growing up, right? So don't be worried. This is a test that any and all of you can pass, the test of treasure, but it's a test that we have to learn how to overcome our human nature of stinginess and connect into God's nature of generosity. Now, uh, did you know that no one has to teach children to be stingy? It's interesting, like with babies, it's really cute because they want you to eat all of their food, right? But not too much later, they don't want to share anything, right? And they use this word, mine, right? Mine. Now, now this is part of human nature, and, and, and if you were an only child, or you spent a long period of time as a firstborn, or as an only, or if you were the baby and there was a big gap, uh, you probably have an issue with sharing, because you weren't forced to. My wife, it took her 15 years of marriage to share her dessert with me. <laughs> and now, every once in a while, she will, but most of the time she says, this is mine, get your own, and I don't want my own because I don't want to eat the whole thing, right? Now she's looking at me. <laughs> no, but I want to tell you a quick story because there was a time in my childhood, I don't know exactly how old I was, I remember I was in the three to four year old age and I was in San Diego, California while I was born and we were in this little co-op they had in the 70s called the Big Boys Club. And we all had matching t-shirts and shorts, and it was like this neighborhood play group, right? The, the moms would all get together and whatever, okay? Whatever they did. And then I was playing with this little boy who apparently was my friend. Um, don't remember who it was. I just remember I'm at this person's house, and we're playing, and I was playing with a certain Hot Wheel. I still remember it was a red, uh, now that I think about it, it was probably like a, like a Camaro or something, I don't know, but it looked like something like that. It had flames on the side, and I'm playing with this Hot Wheel, and I'm so excited about this Hot Wheel, and all of a sudden, this stingy little kid wants to take this Hot Wheel from me. And so I bear down on this thing, and I'm like, no, and he's trying to pull it from my hands, and I did what any rational three-year-old would do. I bit him, <laughs> right? Because that's what you do when you're trying to, you just, I just bit this kid, and he screams, and the moms come in, and, and when they, the forensic evidence came in, there was only one of us that had large and very deep bite marks uh, on their hand, and so I got in trouble, and I was forced to give the Hot Wheel to the boy. And the reality was, 
It was his Hot Wheel. I didn't want to share his Hot Wheel, let alone if it was mine, right? And we as humans, we have to be taught how to share. It's part of, it's part of this thing that we're being taught at just as to be a good human, but as we come into our adult life, there are times, and we all as you know, teenagers, and man, when, I'm, when I get out on my own, and now I'm an adult, and some of us remember the first time that we, man, we're earning our own money, and this money is mine, and I can do whatever I want, and we have these, we, we go through these phases in our lives where we can revert back to selfishness, we can revert back to a place that's kind of actually ugly. Have you ever watched that show called Hoarders? Terrifying. Hopefully you don't have a relative like that. But Hoarders is the show where these people, it's literally a sickness of hoarding things. And to them, it's treasure. To us, it's trash. And, and it has nothing to do with the actual value of it. It's that they, for some reason, have gone through some type of a trauma that's projected them into a place where this trash to us is treasure to them, and hoarding it all up makes them feel safe and secure. See, money, and this is, so last week we talked about the Holy Spirit, uh, and I mentioned last week that we would talk about the Holy Spirit, and there's two things you can talk about in church that make people nervous, and I didn't at the time know that the Lord was going to have me talk about the other thing today, so this is two weeks in a row, and the next week's Pentecost, so it'll be three weeks in a row, so if you're looking for a reason to leave the church the next two weeks, this is your chance, all right? And then we'll get right back on to other stuff that won't run you off, okay? But money is something that makes people nervous, they, 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 it makes people nervous to talk about money, to think about money, but God actually talks about money a lot, and this is why. Because treasure is a test. Treasure is a test, and we all have to pass the test of treasure. Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, there your heart is also. God doesn't actually need your money. God owns everything. Guess what? That money you think is your money, his money. That house you think is your house, his house. His car, his clothes, his kids. That should set some of you free, right? If you come to the place of realizing, oh, these are God's kids. God, your kid needs new clothes. Take care of your kid. Just get shuck some of that responsibility there, right? But it's all his, and we have to pass the test of treasure. And it's not because God cares about money. God cares about your heart. He, can, he cares about the condition of your heart. And where your heart is, your treasure is also. In money, actually, you'll see in just a few moments, is actually God's greatest competitor. It's one of the greatest traps that we can fall into. In the Bible, it's called idolatry. And we would think as Americans, well, we don't really, I mean, the other countries, they have idols and whatever. No, we have idols too. You can see one in Manhattan, in the financial district. There's a giant golden bull there 
that, that is connected. It, bulls were something that were, were worshipped. Baal was worshipped, and Baal was represented as a bull. Cattle equals wealth. And we have idols all over the place in our country. And finances and wealth is a major idol that we're going to address today. You still with me? Got tomatoes? Anybody got tomatoes? Okay, just checking. Let's go to the Word. Acts chapter 4. There are two stories back to back. I'll read you one. I'll tell you the other. And they're connected in an amazingly powerful way. This is the story, Acts 4.32, of a man named Joseph whose name was changed to Barnabas. And this is uh, the moment where something massive and radical happened in his own life. It says, now in the multitude of those who believed they were one heart and one soul, neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own. They weren't saying mine, mine, mine. But they had all things in common. They were sharing and generous. And with great power, watch this, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and great grace was upon them all, nor was there anyone among them who lacked. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds, or the proceeds, if you're actually speaking English, I don't know why I said proceeds, <laughs> of the things they were sold, and they laid them at the apostles' feet. And they distributed to each as anyone had need. And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, he was given that name, Barnabas. It was a term of endearment, which is translated the son of encouragement. He was a Levite or was from the tribe of, of Levi, which was the tribe of priests. So he had a priestly lineage and he came from a line of priests. But he was of the country of Cyprus, and having land, he sold it, and he brought the money, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I want you to recognize something, because there is a specific reference here of great grace being upon them, and powerful ministry that the apostles had, and it was directly connected to, and even in the same sentence, to the level of generosity of the body of people there. If we want to see the miraculous power of God released inside of this body, inside of this city, it will be directly connected to radical generosity on our part. It's connected. It's interconnected. But this story goes on in Acts chapter 5 and has a very interesting twist. I won't read Acts 5. I would encourage you to read it to yourself this week. It's one of the most terrifying stories in the New Testament. It's the story of someone who wanted to fake spirituality and be seen as a son of encouragement, be seen the same way that Barnabas was being seen, but they wanted to fake it. So Ananias and his wife Sapphira took a piece of land. They were wealthy people. They owned properties. The word here is they were possessors of properties and houses. So the illustration or what we're seeing is it wasn't necessarily someone selling their only home and then giving the money and then being homeless. 
That's not the picture. The picture was that there were people who were very wealthy and they had multiple uh, houses and multiple properties and they came to the realization that I simply don't need all this stuff. So let me liquidate some of my assets and let me move the kingdom forward and, and make sure there's no need inside of the house of God. So Ananias and Sapphira liked the imagery of that so they sold one of their properties and they made an agreement between each other, we're going to keep part of this, but we're going to tell everyone else that we actually are giving all of the proceeds. And they walked in to do that. Actually, Ananias, the husband, went in first. He came in just like Barnabas. He laid the offering at the apostles' feet and Peter had a word of knowledge, which is one of the gifts of the Spirit, which is when you supernaturally know something because of the Holy Spirit living inside of you that you have no natural way of knowing. Peter, by the Holy Spirit, knew. And, and by the way, this is a gift that you can receive and walk in. How many of you would like that gift when you're parents and your kids are out there doing stuff and you don't have any super, you need a supernatural way of knowing what they're doing, right? My mother told me my whole life, she's watching right now, hi mom, you threatened me. You said, I don't know what you're doing, but the Holy Spirit does and he will reveal it to me and I'm praying that you get caught. Oh my God, mom, I got caught in everything. All my friends got away with everything, I got caught. I was always the one that got caught. Thanks, Mom. Worked out for me, though. This specific story, this word of knowledge was, Peter said to Ananias, Ananias, why have you conspired and lied to the Holy Spirit? You're not lying to us. You're lying to the Holy Spirit, and he can't be fooled. Peter said, Ananias, it was your land. It was your money. You didn't have to sell it. You didn't have to give it at all. Why would you conspire and lie about it? And then Peter said something terrifying. He said, see those young men over there in their feet? Those are the feet that may carry you out. And Ananias died on the spot in front of everyone. And the young men carried it. Please go read this story and be as afraid as I am. <laughs> Ananias died on the spot for lying to the Holy Spirit. And the young men carried him out and buried him. No funeral, no ceremony, buried instantly. <laughs> Dude. And then a few hours later, Sapphira comes in looking for her husband, who is already underground. And Peter asks her in front of everybody, hey, did you and your husband sell that land for this amount of money? And she says, yes, we did. And he says, why? The same thing. Have you conspired to lie against the Holy Spirit? See those young men and their feet? Those are the feet that carried your husband out. And buried him, and they're going to carry you out too. And she dies on the spot. And it says, and great fear sprung among the people of God. Come on, that's all we need for a little revival. Somebody go ahead and die at offering time in about 25 minutes. 
Unbelievable story. And the fact that these two stories would be juxtaposed or side by side, I only know that fancy word because I used to have a friend that we would read the dictionary and we'd try to impress each other. And, and so I learned the word juxtapose. It's just a fancy. They don't teach you juxtapose in Oklahoma growing up. It's, it means beside, beside, just right there next to you. That's what it means. But these two stories are right there next to each other. And one guy has a pure heart and something radical happens in his life that I'll walk into in just a second. And the other people try to fake it and they fail the test of treasure and it costs them their future. Now I want you to understand something because you might be thinking, well, I don't really relate to this story because I'm not rich. Let me help you with something. We're all rich. Every one of you in this room. We're all rich. D did you get to choose what you got to wear today? Because you had different options? Congratulations, you're rich. Did you come here in a car that someone in your family owns? Congratulations, you're rich. D do you potentially have two cars? You're doubly rich in your family. D do you have a cell phone? Is it smart? Congratulations, you're rich. Do you have air conditioning that you're so grateful for in Texas for the next couple? Congratulations, you are rich. On a scale across the world, you are rich people. Now, there are many variances of rich in this room, but we're all rich. We all have rich people problems. We complain about the roads. We if you complain about taxes, it's because you have money. It's because you're rich. You have a varying degree of wealth. And depending on what you do with that wealth, you can either grow that wealth and, and become more prosperous, or you can lose that wealth, and I've done both in my lifetime. But what's really amazing and what's terrifying is that there are many references in Scripture, even out of Jesus' own mouth, that connect what you do with your money to where you will spend eternity. I'm not trying to scare... There's just some scary stuff. And, and I have pastor friends that are terrified to talk about money in church because they're terrified that people will leave. I'm terrified if I don't teach you how to pass the test. And I'll stand before God for not teaching you to pass the test of treasure. We're all rich. We have rich people problems. We're in McKinney, Texas. One of the richest suburbs in one of the richest counties, Collin County, of one of the richest states, the great state of Texas, and the richest nation in the we are wealthy people on different levels. And we will stand before God for what we do with that. Nobody thinks they're rich. I uh, I read an article a couple years ago. It was in Money Magazine. And this study, they literally studied people. And they went from everyone, people that made $50,000, all the way up to multiple millions of dollars. 
the $50,000 person, are you rich? There, there are certain people in this room that wish they would make 50000 $50,000 earner, are you rich? Oh my God, no, I'm, I'm broke. I'm barely making it. How much would you need to feel rich? $50,000 earner said, if I, if I made $100,000 a year, then I would be rich. I'd have more money I could ever know what to do with. So they went to $100,000 earners. Are you rich? $100,000 earner. No, man, I'm not rich. Barely making it. I don't know how I'm going to put my kid to college. I, I'm trying to juggle. I mean, just, I mean, two cars and gas is three bucks a gallon. I mean, I, you know, well, how much would you need to feel rich? $100,000 earner said, if I made $200,000 a year, then I'd be rich. So they asked the $200,000 earners, are you rich? Oh my God, no, I'm not rich. Barely making it. I, I mean, God, the market's going up and down and I don't know what's going on. And, and that's just, I mean, I'm really, really struggling uh, here and we're just, you know, we're just trying to keep our head above water. There are other people that are actually rich. Well, how much would you need to be rich? $200,000 earners said, if I made $400,000, you see where this is going? They asked $400,000 earners. They said, nope, not rich. I need eight hundred. dollars $800,000, how much, do, are you rich? Oh my God, no, I'm broke, I'm barely making it. I need 1.6, 1.6, I can't do math beyond that because I grew up in Oklahoma, right? But I'm just telling you, it went all the way up to people that had a net worth of $10 million and they weren't really rich because they needed $20 million to actually be rich. All the way up, without any delineation, Every single human being, 100% of them, said they needed 100% increase, exactly double, and then they would be rich. Something broken in our human nature. And the reality is if we don't pass the test of treasure, we'll never be rich in here. See, Jesus literally said when he talked about money, he said, how can you be trusted with true riches if you can't be trusted with this earthly money? There are riches, true riches that God wants to give you. God's object is not to make you richer and richer and richer financially. Although if you live for him and follow his principles, it's very likely that you will be on a path because his principles will make you rich. But that's not his goal. His goal is to make you rich in here. I've been on the mission field and I've met people that had absolutely nothing and they were richer than me. Because they had what they really loved. They had their family, they had their church, they had their faith. We gotta have the right perspective. On money. Jesus is teaching in Matthew chapter 6, verse 22. This entire passage is about money. He says, The lamp of the body is the eye, or the light of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that? Darkness or exceedingly, how exceedingly great. There's no limit to how dark you are internally if the perspective of your eye grows dark. Yeah. This whole thing is about money. This whole thing is about generosity. Jesus is addressing stinginess. 
No one can serve two masters, he goes on to say, for either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. And watch what Jesus says. You cannot serve both God and mammon. What is mammon? Mammon literally means treasure, riches. Jesus in this passage says you have two choices of who you're going to serve. See, most of us think that the opposite of, of, of serving God is serving the devil. But the competition is not between God and the devil. The competition is between God and riches. And the wealthier we become and the more prosperous we become and the more blessed we become, the more in danger we become of falling into the trap of treasure. Now, now I want to I I confess to you, I have financial goals in my lifetime. And, and, and you know why? Because I have three women in my life. <laughs> and women, for you young men to understand, are expensive creatures. Some of you just, you just felt the Holy Ghost, man, just lightning bolt. Mm, Jesus, that's good preaching. And so I, I didn't care anything about money. I really could care less. And then I got married. And money made, made a difference now. And then I had kids, and it really made a difference. So, so I, as a man, I have goals and I, I want to have certain measures of treasure in my life so that I can pass it down to my children and my grandchildren and I can create a legacy and opportunity. And that's why I have a business too. I, I'm a pastor and I have a business and I have multiple streams of income because I want to be able to influence more people and I want to be able to not think of the church. I don't want to, as a, as a pastor, I don't want to think of the church. I don't want to look out at you and think about how am I going to eat this week. So I have a business that takes a ton of that, pre that, that pressure's gone. And then I can look at you and say, hey guys, I'm in this with you. Let's move this thing forward, right? It's an amazing thing. So I want to have, and guess what? I want you to have, and God wants you to have a certain measure of treasure in your life. What God doesn't want is for us to serve and worship that treasure. He doesn't want that treasure to have us. He wants us to be worshipers of him and possessors of treasure that's at his disposal to put into work to do what he wants it to do. We're the vessels that he pours good things through into this earth. If it doesn't go through you, it doesn't go. So the question is this, is your eye dark or is it light? Is your perspective dark or light? I was uh, in Estes Park. Estes Park is my happy place, Colorado. I love Estes Park so much. And, and it just, God, just, it's, you're, you're there, and literally the whole place is surrounded by the most gorgeous mountain range. It's absolutely stunning. 
And it makes me so happy there. And I hear God there. And so we're going back. In Jesus' name, I have to go back. And um, I walk into a Turkish coffee shop. And I'm like, I've never had Turkish coffee before. I'm about to have Turkish coffee. I didn't like the Turkish coffee. Um, I didn't realize that it would have all of the grounds would still be in it. And when you drink it, they, they, you drink the grounds sometimes too. And it gets in your, it was, I didn't enjoy that. But I noticed in this Turkish coffee shop, all of these circles all over. And they had these trinkets they were selling from Turkey. And these circles, I'd recognized, I'd seen them before somewhere. And I didn't realize at the time, but when I got home, I, I realized where I'd seen it, it's on my neighbor's house. And it's a circle that's white with blue, and it has a black dot in the middle of it. And I asked the lady, I said, what is that? She said, that's the good eye. Jesus said, if your eye is good, your whole body be full of light. That's the good eye. I said, okay, what, what's the good eye? She says, she said, in our culture and all around the Mediterranean, the entire region around where Jesus was teaching, there's a belief that someone can give you the evil eye, the stanky eye, some of y'all heard it called, the dark eye. If your eye is dark, how great is that darkness? I said, what's the evil eye? She said, that's when they look at you and they say, oh, aren't you so pretty? And they're really inside going, I hate you. <laughs> or they look at you and they say, oh, aren't you so blessed? Isn't it wonderful that you got that new job and you got that new car? Isn't that, that's just wonderful. And it's this covetousness that they literally believe in this culture is so powerful that this, when someone releases covetousness your way, that that covetousness can put a curse on you. And so they have these good eye trinkets that they place all around their house and their possessions and their whatever to ward off the curses from the evil eye. And I'm like, oh my God, it made this passage come alive in a whole new way. When Jesus was literally talking about you can be the type of person that instead of existing to release blessing into the earth, you have a perspective in your life that's stingy and greedy and covetous, and you literally release curse and darkness into your own world. And he says of that, how great is that darkness? Guys, we gotta pass the test of treasure. See, there are people that are really jaded. And it's why they don't like to hear a preacher talk about money. It's why they don't, they, come on, have we, have we ever driven past a homeless person, thought about giving them money, and then thought he could get a job? I, I mean, He's got two legs. I, this dude doesn't have legs. I'll give to him. He's got a little harder. But this dude's got a dog. He's homeless with a dog. How can you be homeless with a dog? Is this part of your... Come on, guys. We can get really jaded. And instead of looking at people and loving them, 
we can say, he's just going to spend it on booze. And we opt out. Come on, I'd classify that as the dark eye. You're literally putting a curse on a human being. You're judging a human being. Judge not lest you be judged, Jesus said. So it's the same thing with pastors. I, I was in downtown McKinney in Rick's, and I love eating in their little back room, the back room with the, all the brick. It's such a cool old room. And, and I, I walked in there to, to sit down and have lunch, and, and there was a friend that I'd met in one of the leadership programs here in McKinney, and she was uh, sitting with a guy, and I walked up and shook her hand, uh, Rebecca, and, and, and said, oh, so great to see you. And she introduces me as Pastor Joel, and this guy instantly sneers at me. He goes, oh, a pastor, huh? So you just want my money? I... I I'm like, uh, no, I don't need your money. You probably don't have enough to impress me anyway. I, I mean, I, no, I didn't say that because I'm a pastor. We can't say what we really want to say for crying out loud. <laughs> but I mean, her, she was horrified at how ugly this person was to someone they don't even know because they have a label called pastor. So apparently he has an offense from somewhere, most likely nothing even happened to him. He just heard, got offended from, from, for some. Come on, sometimes offenses on behalf of someone else didn't even happen to you. But we get offended on behalf of, and then we hold this thing, and the reality is, that the picture we have here is coming in Barnabas laying treasure at the apostles' feet, walking away with no strings attached. And here in America, we say, what do they do with my money? Well, I don't want to give it there because I don't know what they do with it, and I would rather take it and put it here, and I know what they do, or I think I know what they do, and the reality is you don't know what they do. But the wealthier we get, you, you listen, let me help you on a secret. You get wealthy by controlling money. You, control, you tell money what to do, you control money, and you get wealthier and wealthier and wealthier by controlling money. The problem is, when it comes to passing this test, trying to control it, is a fail. The picture is, I'm going to give it to God, I'm going to lay it down here, and I'm going to completely trust that God is going to do what needs to be done, and he's going to use these people to do it, and I'm not going to control it. It's actually unbelievably freeing if you can ever learn to pass this test. And honestly, it's easier when you grew up doing it. Because I grew up doing it, and so every time I got an allowance, my parents taught me. You got $10, $1 goes to God, let's take it, whatever. And I grew up doing it, it was easy, because I always did it. And so $10, then it was $100, then it was $1,000, then it was $10,000, and it was, come on, it could get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, and then all of a sudden, you look back and you're like, I just gave away a, a Honda. I could have bought a brand new Honda 
but I gave it away this year. It's an amazing feeling and a freeing feeling of realizing that you can learn to pass this test and you can grow into a level that you can do unbelievable things with your generosity, but you can't get hung up and stay in a place of mistrust. I'm trying to budget my time here. There's a story, I'll finish with this story, in the Bible of a rich young ruler. In fact, Brandon brought up to me, and I did a little research on it this week, that there are a lot of people that think that Barnabas, scholars that believe that Barnabas might have been the rich young ruler. You may remember the story. There was a rich young ruler that came to Jesus in all three of the Gospels, and he comes to him, and and he says, good teacher, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus looks at him, Mark Uh, who is actually Barnabas' cousin, in his account says he looks at him and loves him. And and he says, and he goes through through this list of all of the the, the commandments that have to do with how to treat people. And the rich young ruler says, I've done all these, I've done all these. And Jesus says, there's one more thing you lack. Go sell your possessions, give to the poor, and come follow me. And it says that the man walked away sad because he had great wealth. He had great possession. And some scholars believe that the story of Barnabas is the story of this man coming back. And that Mark, who wrote the gospel, was actually talking about his own cousin secretly. And the beautiful, if that happens to be the case, there's no way to prove it. If that happened to be the case, the beautiful picture would be is that you may have blown it and failed the test miserably in previous seasons of your life but you can always come back and pass it. It's a pretty, it's a beautiful picture. But Jesus literally goes on to say, when this rich young ruler walks away, he says, how hard is it? How hard is it for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven? In fact, he says it's impossible for them. Except for God, it's impossible for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. And the disciples freaked out. And they said, then who can be saved? And, and they were astonished. And it said, and Jesus said again, children, how hard is it for those who trust in their riches? And there's a key. The key is they stop trusting in God and they start trusting in riches and they start serving mammon. That's the trap. For them to enter the kingdom of heaven. For it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And they were greatly astonished, saying, who can be saved? Jesus says, with men it's impossible, but with God... Not with God, for with God all things are possible. And Peter said to him, see, we have left all to follow you. And Jesus answered, watch this, this is the promise for us. This is the promise for us that passed the test. Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now in this lifetime and also houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come eternal life Jesus literally is saying in this passage that those of you that can pass the test you're going to receive a hundred times back in this lifetime and also eternal life Jesus connects 
passing the tests with money to eternal life. And so the question for each and every one of us is, are we, are we going to pass the test? Are we going to let God be the God of our money? And it's interesting that in Scripture, that the number that God used to create, to, from the very beginning to create this test was the number or the, the word tithe, which is the word tenth. It literally means to give a tenth. And the reason he used that tenth, ten is the number symbolically in their culture for a test. Ten is the number of test. And ten represented, the tenth represented the all. So giving a tenth passed the test and it was symbolic of giving all. So it's the same as if you had given all. On top of that, 10, the secondary meaning for 10 is it's the number for redemption. And the idea behind it is when you give the 10th, it redeems everything else. So it's a principle in scripture that's absolutely powerful. And, and I, I've lived it my whole life. I've practiced it my whole life to, to the point where Jennifer and I, the business that we own together, I give 10% of the gross of the business above the, our actual income from the business because I want the redemptive blessing on the whole business. Forget my income. I want this redemptive blessing on the whole entity, right? So I'm going to give the 10th of the whole thing on top of whatever now our salaries and whatever we get. Guys, come on. It's about this test. And here's, here's, why, here's why it's so important. Because when I can pass the test and God is the God of my personal money, then I move into a place where I no longer am in charge of meeting my own needs. I no longer in charge of meeting my own needs. In fact, when Paul was teaching about this and teaching about this principle of giving in the book of Corinthians, this is where, I believe it's the second book of Corinthians, this is where he literally said about a group of people that had passed the test in finances. They had passed the test of generosity. And he made this promise to them. He said, and my God shall supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory. Guys, we can move out of a place of fear of lack and we can move into a place of absolute faith and trust because we know that God is the God of our money. God is the God of our resources. There's so much more I could talk to you for hours about this stuff because it's something I believe in, I practice, I'm confident about. I'll never back down talking about money. I just won't because it's proven so true in our personal lives and I don't want to risk you not getting the blessing that we have been able to walk in because of passing this test. Amen. We hope this message has blessed your life. And if it has, we want to invite you to sow into what God is doing here at Oaks Church. It's as simple as going to oakschurch.com and clicking the Give button. On behalf of Oaks Church, thanks again for listening and have a great week.